Part 2. Treatment of Bad Thoughts 5. Facing Your Fears Head-On Exposure Therapy You gain strength, courage, and confidence by every experience in which you really stop to look fear in the face. You are unable to say to yourself, I lived through this horror. I can take the next thing that comes along. Anna Eleanor Roosevelt, 1884-1962 to Many of my patients are shocked when I tell them that to overcome their bad thoughts, they're going to have to face them head-on. Isn't there an easier way? They often ask, reminding me that they've done all they could for years to avoid thinking about all these things. My answer is that we have yet to find a treatment that works as well and as rapidly as directly confronting or exposing yourself to the very thing that you fear. Indeed, extensive research around the world since the late 1960s on the use of this exposure therapy for OCD has confirmed that repeated exposures of one to two hours at a time are highly effective in reducing obsessions in most sufferers. The principles of exposure therapy can be stated simply. Expose yourself to the thing that most triggers your fear or discomfort for one or two hours at a time without leaving the situation or doing anything else to distract or comfort you. Do not be misled, however, by the simplicity of these instructions, for they contain powerful medicine. For example, two recent neuroimaging studies at UCLA prove that the following of these seemingly simple instructions is the first non-drug treatment to show changes in the brain chemistry of responders that mirror their observable clinical improvements. Similarly, my colleague Dr. Isaac Marks of Maudsley Hospital in London has lectured around the world on the vital importance of spreading comparatively simple medical information as widely as possible. In a wonderful analogy, he reminds us that despite all the millions of dollars spent on high-tech medical and imaging equipment, the following simple instructions dispersed by the World Health Organization to mothers in third world countries have saved many more lives. The instruction is for the mother to boil a cup of water, put into it a pinch of salt lifted with, with three, not two, or four fingers. Stir it, taste it, and if it's no saltier than tears, and if it's not too hot, spoon it to her baby, who is likely to absorb it without vomiting. Behind that simple instruction, Professor Marx reminds us, are 200 years of Western scientific endeavor concerning the nature of dehydration and blood osmolarity and how to correct it. With that instruction, one can do away with the need for intravenous fluid and all the paraphernalia it entails. Moms can treat their babies in the bush. The simple rules of exposure therapy are similar to the World Health Organization instructions in that both are behavioral instructions, and both rely on the individuals accepting the advice as worthwhile, non-dangerous, and effective. Habituation, the key to exposure therapy. To understand why exposure therapy is so effective, it is important to first understand the key principle upon which it is based, habituation. Patients have told me that they appreciate the way I describe habituation in my book about treating OCD, getting control. Have you ever visited friends who live near an airport or train station? You probably have wondered how in the world they can stand the noise. But your friends seem hardly to notice it. Or have you squeezed into a painfully tight pair of shoes in the morning, only to find that by the evening you've forgotten you had them on? If you've had either of these experiences, you've witnessed your body's process of habituation firsthand. Habituation comes from the Latin word habitus, for habit. 
means to custom, to make familiar by frequent use or practice. In other words, after long familiarity with a situation that at first produces strong emotional reaction, our bodies learn to get used to or to ignore that situation. Habituation is a key process to understand if you want to control your compulsions and obsessions. Our research and experience with hundreds of patients shows that if you continue to practice exposure and response prevention, your fears and compulsions will almost always decrease. But people's compulsions change at different rates. One person's fears may diminish in the first hour of practice, while a second person may feel better only after weeks of hard practice. There's nothing you can do about these differences, except to accept them as we accept individual differences in hair color and height. All that really matters is that with practice, your fears will eventually subside. Habituation works in many areas of life apart from OCD. For example, most of us were afraid of the dark as children. We may have felt afraid, had urges to scream or cry, and suffered with thoughts of the boogeyman and other monsters hiding under our bed. As a result, we may have begged our parents to turn the lights on or let us crawl into bed with them. Over the months, if we and our parents persisted, and we continued to sleep in the dark, our fears and thoughts of boogeyman lessened. Thus, just by changing our behavior, staying in the dark room, we also indirectly changed our thoughts, monsters, and feelings. Fear. Read the last sentence again. This is exactly what happens in all successful treatment for OCD. Exposure therapy, which is a first-line treatment for OCD, can be easily adapted to treat the sort of bad thoughts that are subject to this book. The actual form of exposure therapy will always differ depending on the particular symptom to be treated, as well as the situations that trigger it. So, for example, for a patient with OCD who has obsessive thoughts and performs no rituals, the target behaviors are the thoughts themselves. Often I can determine that a patient's bad thoughts are dependably triggered by specific situations, such as taking public transportation, going to the beach, or shopping in a particular store. For patients such as these, instructing them to actually enter these feared situations in real life, in technical terms, this is in vivo exposure, is usually effective. Many times, however, we must also supplement this in vivo exposure by having the person imagine facing the feared situation, i.e. imaginal exposure, often assisted by the use of tape-recorded description of the feared situation. Both of these methods are described below, though actual case examples of people whose bad thoughts have been greatly reduced as a result. In vivo exposure for sexual obsessions. Dr. Joseph Cariucci, an expert in the treatment of religious obsessions at Loyola College in Maryland, recently described in elegant detail his successful exposure treatment of a patient with a strict religious upbringing who is suffering from sexual obsessions. A 37-year-old homosexual Baptist man who lived a celibate life was plagued by constant worries around intrusive sexual thoughts. Although he was physically attracted only to adult men, he had severe obsessions of pedophilia. Whenever he saw a handsome young man, he began to worry he might not be older than 18 years of age. He was so concerned about having sexual thoughts towards underage boys that he avoided looking at any man who is not obviously older than approximately 30 years. This obsession was most bothersome during church services because the notion of having sexual thoughts about minors in church was horrific. As a result, he gazed with a fixed stare at the minister, 
lest his eyes wander and he be guilty of the sin of pedophilia. Stage one of his exposure program involved obtaining a large department store catalog. Therapist and patient then went through the fashions for adult men, selecting approximately 10 pictures of men modeling business wear, casual wear, and beach attire. The patient then ranked and ordered the pictures according to the degree of distress each picture generated, from least to most anxiety-provoking, with no large gaps in anxiety between any two pictures. Exposure then began in the therapist's office with the patient staring at the least anxiety-provoking picture until the anxiety was sufficiently reduced. This process continued until desensitization was achieved for all the pictures. Stage 2 used the same catalog, but this time the pictures were selected from the adolescent fashion section. Again, the patient chose a range of pictures from dress clothes to beachwear and exposure and then proceeded in the same manner as described earlier. During both stages, the patient continued exposure trials at home, although it took several weeks in vivo accessions before he had sufficient self-confidence to try it on his own. Stage 3 involved in vivo exposure in natural environments. Now instead of avoiding looking at young men, the patient was instructed to actively seek them out and to look at them in a natural way. Stage 4 involved performing the same in vivo exposure with adolescent men, and Stage 5 involved purposely looking at young men and teenage boys during church services. Television programs are often useful exposure trials because scenes that scrupulous people avoid are readily available. This is a classic example of the treatment of bad sexual thoughts by exposure therapy. Special considerations for dealing with bad thoughts that are entangled with religious beliefs, as in this patient, are covered in detail in the next chapter on blasphemous bad thoughts. In vivo exposure for violent obsessions. The treatment of violent thoughts by exposure therapy is similar to the treatment by Dr. Cariucci in the case of sexual obsessions. In the case I described below, I began by identifying situations that the man avoided because they triggered his violent thoughts. Then I helped him to confront them until he habituated to them. By the time Rick came to see me, he was distraught. An anxious appearing man in his mid-twenties, he came to our clinic for help with thoughts about harming his parents and his girlfriend. At our first meeting, he told me that the harder he tried to resist these thoughts, the more upsetting and more persistent they seemed to become. He told me that he went out of his way to avoid any situation that would trigger the bad thoughts. When he was around his parents or his girlfriend, he was certain to clear the table of any pens, pencils, or sharp objects that he feared he might attack her with. When I later met his parents and his girlfriend, all confirmed that Rick was a gentleman who had never heard a fly in his life and whom all of them trusted completely despite knowing about his bad thoughts. Rick's problem had begun a year previously. While out with friends and intoxicated, the thought passed through his mind. How can I be sure I don't really want to attack my friends? This thought terrorized him, and although he told no one about it, it stuck with him and festered in his mind. Soon, the thought spread to his parents, who he lived with, and his worries that he might stab them with scissors or a knife, and then his girlfriend. Rick had begun avoiding being around other people and was no longer able to work. He told me that he had lost hope that he could ever again live a normal life, as he had just done a year before. When I told him that, with the proper treatment, he had an excellent chance of recovery. He admitted that he couldn't believe me, but even though it sounded frightening, he would do his best to give it a try. 
I began by explaining to Rick the very act of avoiding his bad thoughts, along with the situation that triggered them, was helping them to keep going. What we needed to do first was to discover all the situations that he could think that triggered his bad thoughts. Next, I would help him systematically expose himself to these situations. I told him that two decades of research had proven the best way to conquer our fears, even fears of our own thoughts and urges, is to expose ourselves to them. I explained that this results in habituation, that is, we get used to the situations so that they no longer produce the high levels of discomfort they once did, and the bad thoughts go down as well. So before our next meeting, Rick listed all the situations that he could think that triggered his bad thoughts. When he showed me his list, it included sitting close to his father or mother, being around them when sharp objects such as pencils or scissors were nearby, and sitting near his girlfriend, especially when sharp objects were around. Now that we had identified situations that triggered his bad thoughts, I asked him to put himself in the situation as much as possible, and to remain in them even when he felt uncomfortable. When Rick returned, he told me that he had started off by sitting near his parents, which he had been avoiding. He told me that after he did this for a few nights, he began introducing sharp objects such as pens, pencils, knives, and scissors on a table within arm's reach of him while he sat and talked with his parents for at least an hour. He told me that each of these situations had produced extreme anxiety at first, but this had gradually gone down as he continued practicing his exposure homework for each day. Next, I asked Rick to stop avoiding his girlfriend, as he had been. At first, he simply sat closer and closer to her. Next, he gradually introduced sharp objects nearby. His girlfriend understood how exposure therapy was supposed to work and served as a co-therapist during the home exposure. She reminded Rick that bad thoughts would pass through his mind from time to time, but they were just thoughts, were probably due to his being over-conscientious and were not in themselves at all dangerous. After three weeks of this practice, Rick told me he was feeling better and was able to be around people he had been avoiding. However, the bad thoughts were still occurring many times a day, and he asked me if there was anything he could do to make more progress. I told Rick that to accelerate his progress, he would have to expose himself to the very bad thoughts he was most afraid of. When he asked what I meant, I asked him to write down details of the very worst thoughts that tormented him. I told him these might be thoughts of snapping and stabbing his girlfriend with a knife. It might involve her parents coming upon the scene and accusing him of being insane. Possibly he imagined the police would come and handcuff him and lead him to jail. He might see his face on the front page of the newspaper and a story describing him as the insane sadistic killer. Possibly he feared being disowned by his family and dying alone and forgotten in a jail cell. Like most of my patients, Rick's first reaction was to ask me if he really had to do this. I told him that this kind of exposure by audio tape has been found to be one of the most effective ways with dealing with bad thoughts like his. Rick gamely agreed to give it a try. When he returned, he had done his homework and brought me a two-page script describing the worst scenario he could imagine. I reviewed his scenario with him to delete any reassurances he might have written into the script, including phrases like, but this will never really happen, or God forgive me for doing this. I crossed out all these reassurances because they would undo the effects of the exposure tape. When the script was complete, I had Rick record the horrible scenario on a cassette tape and instructed him to listen to it on a portable tape player for at least one hour a day. In addition to any other time, the bad thoughts came. When he felt the thoughts were coming, he was to sit down, put his headphones on, and listen to the exposure tape until the thoughts began to subside. 
after two weeks of listening to this and similar scenarios, Rick reported that his obsessions were occurring rarely, and he was easily able to tolerate them. And when they came, he was back at work and was interacting normally with his parents and his girlfriend. Rick's case illustrates that we often augment in vivo exposure therapy by other, less direct exposure methods when necessary. The following section describes the rationale for this approach, followed by additional examples of its use. Using audio tapes and videotapes to intensify exposure therapy. The catastrophes that are part of your bad thoughts will almost certainly never happen. Obviously, you cannot do in vivo exposures for accidentally stabbing a baby or running over a pedestrian with your car. Even trying to imagine these catastrophes happening will often not be a useful exposure. Since few of us have vivid enough imagination, and even if we do, the temptation to distract our attention from such images may feel irresistible. Instead, many of my patients have successfully used videotapes to help rid them of generic bad thoughts and audio tapes to help control idiosyncratic ones. If you have violent or sexual bad thoughts, you probably go out of your way to avoid seeing television shows or movies with strong violent or sexual content. As you know now, avoiding triggers such as these only adds strength to your bad thoughts. For many of my patients, simply watching over and over videotapes of the particular content that triggers their bad thoughts will lead to habituation. For example, if you worry that you may inadvertently kill the others, you could rent a videotape about a murderer that triggers your obsessions, such as Jeffrey Dahmer or Charles Manson, and then you would sit down and watch the videotape repeatedly until you find that your discomfort begins to go down. Needless to say, you must also resist distracting yourself while watching the videotape. Or, If you have bad thoughts about satanic possession, you could rent a video that triggers your obsession about the occult or supernatural events such as The Exorcist or Rosemary's Baby. Then, watch it repeatedly from beginning to end until your distress begins to go down. I always know exposure therapy is working for me when the patient tells me, I can't stand watching that video one more time. It's just too boring. I just smile, congratulate them, and remind them that boredom is the opposite of fear and means they're fully habituated. On the other hand, the situations that trigger your bad thoughts may be personal and idiosyncratic. Anna worried that she would kill her infant by touching him with hands contaminated by bacteria from uncooked meat or eggs. This had all but paralyzed her so that when she came to treatment, she refused to feed him or to change his diaper. Although in vivo exposure had enabled her to hold her son to feed and change him, her bad thoughts about killing him continued. For Anna, Only a tailor-made audio tape would provide adequate exposure for specific fears. I convinced Anna that to complete the treatment, she would have to expose herself to the very catastrophe she was most afraid of. She began by writing out for me, in excruciating detail, precisely the worst thing she feared would happen to her infant. At our next session, I reviewed what she had written on two sheets of yellow legal paper, which I paraphrased and shortened, here to give you the flavor of an effective exposure script. I didn't wash my hands properly after cooking chicken. I feed my son, and later that day, I notice that he's not breathing right, as if his throat is closing up. I also take his temperature, and he's getting a fever. I drive into the emergency room and tell the doctor what happened. He tells me that I probably gave the baby a bacterial infection and that he will probably not survive. I sit next to my baby's crib in the hospital and listen to him wheezing and having trouble breathing. He looks up at me with pleading eyes, and I know that he's asking me to protect him and I know there's nothing I can do for him. I cry continuously, and I feel more and more helpless and guilty. Over the next several hours, I see my son dying from this poison 
in his body that I gave him. Finally, he dies a horrible death. My husband arrives at the hospital, and when he finds out that this happened, he yells at me hysterically and blames me for being an irresponsible mother who killed her own son. My mother and father tell me they want nothing more to do with me after I was so irresponsible in taking care of their grandson. My husband leaves me. I become homeless. I live in a shelter and I become an alcoholic. After several years, I realize there's nothing more to live for and I commit suicide. When reading the first draft of Anna's script, I noticed that she had included several reassurances, which I pointed out to her and then crossed out, such as phrases like, but I tell myself that this isn't happening, or God forbid this would ever happen to him. I told Anna that it would be uncomfortable for her to listen to the script at first. However, I assured her that as she listened to it over and over, it would eventually lose its ability to upset her. Then for the first time, she could enjoy taking care of her son, which was Anna's original treatment goal. Anna then read her script into a tape recorder, repeating it three to four times until she had filled a 30-minute side of a 60-minute audio tape. She then slipped her tape into a portable tape player and listened to it for at least one hour every day. Happily, within a week, Anna told me that listening to the tape no longer produced a strong discomfort, and soon the bad thoughts that accompanied feeding and changing her son were almost gone. Now, a year later, she tells me that she and her son are doing well, and she's enjoying taking care of him and watching him grow up. Here's another example of using audio to assist with exposure for fears of harming others. Frida had her first child late in life and came to see me because she was having difficulty feeling safe around her three-month-old child. Hers were the common fears of not wanting to change him when scissors or knives were around. But lately, she had become even more distressed and no longer felt safe taking him outside for a walk because she suffered from images of pushing his carriage in front of an oncoming automobile or throwing him from a bridge that she had formerly enjoyed crossing with him. Needless to say, Frida was horrified by these thoughts, being, like most of my patients, overconscientious. She told me that since childhood, she had always worried about doing the right thing, and now she worried about being the perfect mother and protecting her son, especially after waiting so long for his arrival. She had tried a variety of anti-anxiety and antidepressant medications over the year, but none had reduced her bad thoughts. So her psychiatrist had referred to me. As she described her bad thoughts, and this was the first time that she had ever told another person about them in detail, I listened intently, then assured that I had no concern that she would ever act upon her thoughts. She had no history of acting violently in the past, she seemed to have no trouble controlling her anger, and she was clearly not psychotic. These were purely obsessions, and she was far from being alone in suffering from them. I then told Frida that although I, too, wish we had an easier, more comfortable way of getting rid of her thoughts, the surest bet for her was to go through exposure therapy. I would help her to expose herself to the very bad thoughts and images she had been avoiding. She would not permit herself to turn off the thoughts and images to temporarily make herself feel better, since this would shortcut the natural process of habituation. I wasn't surprised to find that Frida was exceptionally nervous the day I asked her to write out a detailed script about the worst consequences if her bad thoughts were to come true. I asked her to leave no stone unturned in making the script as vivid, as violent, as detailed as a Stephen King horror story. The next week, she brought me three pages in her handwriting, carefully folded in an envelope, with no identifying marks on the outside, and carefully hidden in her purse to ensure she wouldn't accidentally drop it. Do not worry if, like Frida, you feel guilty or ashamed about putting your bad thoughts on paper or audio tape. Most of my patients find this difficult too. 
Some have told me that they have burned the evidence at the conclusion of our treatment to ensure that it never falls into the wrong hands. As I read her script, I saw that Frida had done as I asked her and had produced a detailed script with no reassurances to decrease her distress. She told me that she had broken down into tears several times while committing these horrible thoughts to paper. The very writing down of these thoughts and images for the first time was often a a very powerful exposure for my patients. She had written about taking her baby for a walk over the bridge, getting an urge to throw him over the side, giving into the urge and flinging the light body down into the water, watching him fall through the air as if in slow motion, screaming and flailing his little arms, seeing her baby sink into the cold, dark water, bystanders screaming, get her, get her. While she laughs insanely at the thought of her son drowning below, being swarmed by a mob, grabbing and beating her, Being brought to the police station, her picture flashed in the television news, facing her husband and his wrath. Feeling shame and disgust at having committed her heinous crime, being beaten and raped by the other prisoners for being a child killer, being disowned and forgotten by her family, having failed as a mother, becoming the monster she has always feared becoming, contracting AIDS in prison, and dying alone. With my help, Frida recorded this script onto an audio tape, which I asked her to listen to for one hour twice a day. And whenever else the bad thoughts popped up, the first time she listened to the tape in my office, she broke into tears but forced herself to listen to it, rating herself as a 10 out of 10 on the scale of anxiety. I reassured her that if the bad thoughts continue, I reassured her that if she continued to listen to the tape, her distress would start to decrease and the bad thoughts would gradually lose their terror for her. At first, Frida had to force herself to use the tape, but she kept her promise to me and listened to it on a regular schedule. By the end of the first week, she noticed the start of a drop in her distress. This distress continued through the second week, and by the time she returned to see me after the third week, Frida reported that to her surprise, the tape was beginning to bore her. Later, I helped Frida make two additional tapes for exposure to other bad thoughts she had about pushing her son into traffic and of stabbing him. As she continued to listen to these tapes and began to habituate, I encouraged her to resume the taking of her son for walks. With this combined audio tape and in vivo exposure treatment, by the end of six weeks, Frida didn't avoid any situations with her son, and she enjoyed being with him, without the horrid thoughts. Occasionally a bad thought would still pass through her mind, but she now since realized that this was just a thought and of no importance. She simply let it pass through her mind without fighting it. I'm pleased that she continues to be much improved more than two years later. Should you expect to be completely cured by exposure therapy? No. Few patients find that their thoughts are completely eliminated, but the majority find that their bad thoughts are decreased significantly by exposure therapy and that they do not interfere with their lives nearly as much as after treatment. If you decide to try exposure therapy, I've listed tables 9 and 10, some sample in vivo exposure tasks and topics for audio tapes that my colleagues and I have used with our patients to help you get started in planning your own exposure practices. Some of these examples may seem shocking or morally wrong to you, You will learn in chapter 7 what to do if an exposure task that might help you seems morally wrong to you. Actual tasks use an in vivo exposure therapy for bad thoughts. Thoughts about harming children. Offer to babysit alone for a child. Offer to bathe or diaper a child. Obtain information on abortion services. Do not check trash or toilet when afraid a child was placed there. Do reading on history of abortion. Example, Roe versus Wade case. Walk by an abortion clinic. Read newspaper articles on a parent who physically abused her child. Locate phone number for abortion services.
religious obsessions. Write the words Satan and Devil. Roleplay membership in a satanic cult. Reread Devil Worship Rites. Search internet for information on satanic cults. Obsessions about becoming homosexual. Walk around gay neighborhood. Read autobiography of gay person. Attend gay rights rally. Look at nude or semi-nude pictures of same sex in catalogs or magazines such as Playboy. Use open dressing room in gym or clothing store. Look at nude portraits in museums and art books. Obsessions about incest. Make flattering comment to male relative. You look good in that sweater. Give male relative a hug or kiss. Have underwear touch objects father had touched. Sexual obsessions. Sit facing other people. Eat a dirty food, i.e. penis-shaped banana, zucchini, cucumber. Write sexual words. Example, come, get, into, swallowing. Go to a location where there are children to confront sexual fears about children. Listen to audio tape with intrusive sexual and violent obsessions. Table 10. Actual text of exposure audio tapes for bad thoughts. Bad thoughts about exposing himself and having sex with bypassers. I might have an erection. I might get AIDS. I might get AIDS. I'm not sure if I'm wearing pants or not. I might take off my pants. I'm not sure if I'm wearing pants or not. I might have AIDS. I'm probably going to get AIDS. I'm going to rape someone. I'm going to start masturbating. I'm going to start getting undressed. I was going to the bathroom. I'm going to get interrupted. I might have AIDS. I'm going to get AIDS. I'm going to get AIDS. I'm not sure when I interrupted or not when I was getting dressed or when I was going to the bathroom or when I was masturbating. I could get AIDS. I could get AIDS. I could get AIDS. Bad thoughts about killing a child. I'm walking over the bridge and I get an urge to throw my child into the water below. I take her out of her carriage. And with her looking at me trustingly, I throw her over the railing, watching her sink into the cold water below. Many witnesses see me do this and scream to stop the madwoman, but they are helpless to save my daughter. Bad thoughts about losing control and stabbing a loved one. I am sitting across from my girlfriend and I see a knife on the table. I pick it up and snap, stabbing her over and over. My worst fears have come true as I continue stabbing her to death. Bad thoughts about blasphemy. I am in church, shouting obscenities to God and Jesus. I rip the crucifix off the wall and smash it into pieces, while the congregation looks on at me with amazement. Bad thoughts about sex with animals. I see the dog's genitals and, to my horror, get sexually excited. I snap and grab the dog and begin having anal intercourse with him. My mother comes into the room and is horrified at what she sees, but I just continue on, the fear I've had for so many years finally coming true. Bad thoughts about incest. I'm having sex with my sister. I've lost control of my senses as, as I feared. I would, and I'm now engaging in the worst thing I can imagine. Continues describing in great detail. Bad thoughts about harming and molesting family members. I want to suffocate my son with a pillow while he's sleeping. I want to shoot him in the back of his head on the bald spot with a gun. I want to knife my mother. I want to stab my father. I want to have sex with my father. I want to kiss my sister in the crotch and have oral sex with her. I want to kill my husband. I'm going to have sex with the child. I will have sensations and masturbate around children. I think I harmed a child. I should be killed. I'm a bad mother. I deserve no mercy. Unfortunately, some people do not respond to exposure therapy, even when they cooperate fully with it, and others are not willing to attempt it. For them, other treatments such as cognitive therapy, 
and medication treatments may be helpful. Before you try exposure therapy on your own, refer back to page 43 in chapter 3 and review the warning signs for when bad thoughts may be dangerous to make sure it's safe for you to proceed. If you're not sure whether your bad thoughts are true or not, or if you have tried exposure therapy for at least 10 hours and have not noticed any decrease in your anxiety, you should try the cognitive therapy techniques described in the next chapter. After using these techniques, you still have not noticed any decrease in your symptoms, then it is time to consult a mental health professional. It might be that you need to be prescribed one of the medications described in Chapter 8. Fortunately, most people who suffer from bad thoughts are able to benefit from exposure therapy. Several studies have found that exposure therapy can be just as effective when it is self-administered as when a therapist is involved. However, this requires you to expose yourself to the correct triggers and that you continue exposure long enough and without any rituals or distractions for habituation to happen. You might want to find a trusted friend or family member to help you with this approach if you find that you cannot do it on your own. In fact, even if you can do the suggested exposure on your own, because of the shame and guilt associated with these bad thoughts, I suggest you find someone to talk to them about. Just talking about them can be an effective exposure and can greatly decrease your guilt. If a support group exists in your area for problems like these, this can be an excellent treatment option. Of course, if your problem is severe, you should consult a qualified mental health professional.